Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So we've probably all seen some sort of scam or fraud. There was the Bernie Madoff thing a couple years ago, where lots of people got duped into a, a Ponzi scheme. The Nigerian prince, that guy in Nigeria wants to send you lots and lots of money, but in order to complete the transaction, you got to wire over $100 first. There's psychics. There, there, uh, there's a ton of them out there. And whenever we see these things, we probably tell ourselves, man, those people are just dumb like how could they fall for that how could they how could they not see it was a fraud like i i am way too smart that could never happen to me well my guest today wrote a book saying well that might not be the case her name is maria konnikova she's the author of the book the confidence game why we fall for it every time and in it she looks at the psychology of scams and what scam artists do to get inside our brains to make us convince ourselves that the scam they're selling is actually a good idea and how really, really smart people, talking doctors, experts in in art, fall for scams all the time, how even really smart people can fall for scams and how sometimes they're even the easiest people to scam. Really interesting podcast with some great takeaways on how to scam-proof your life. So without further ado, Maria Konnikova and The Confidence Game. Maria Konnikova, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. So your new book uh, is called The Confidence Game, and it's all about con artists, fraudsters, scamsters, whatever you want to call them, and the psychological principles that underlie what makes scam artists able to do what they do. Uh, I'm curious, what set off the research into this book? You did a lot of research into this. I mean, what, was there like a scam artist you came across or a scam? You, you Were you scammed? And you're like, I need to figure out why I'm, why I'm so predisposed to being scammed. What happened there? So I was actually, um, one finding, I was watching um, House of Games, David Mamet's first movie, I believe. Um, and Mamet is obsessed with cons and has explored them in lots of movies. But in this particular movie, the protagonist is a woman who is a professional woman. She has a PhD. She's a psychologist. She's just written this best-selling book 
um, she's a really smart, sophisticated person, and she falls for this very elaborate long con, um, and she thinks she's one step ahead of the con artists the whole time, that she's kind of in on it, and it ends up that they anticipated that, and that actually she's not in on it at all, and she loses all of her money. Um, she loses a lot of other things, too. But at the end of this movie, I just thought, first of all, wow, you know, what What a different way of looking at the con because normally you see these victims who are just saps and this woman really was not. And then I, I thought, well, you know, how how does that happen? How does someone who's so intelligent, so savvy and who knows so much about human psychology become a victim? Um, and so I started trying to find a book that would explain it to me and it didn't exist. So I wrote it. Well, there you, there you go. I, I like that. I think, uh, I've done that quite a bit too, where nothing's out there. So you got to find out on your own. Yeah. Um, so let, you start off the book talking about what makes a con artist, a con artist, right? The cycle, the psychology of a con artist, con, con artist, um, and so you really present this very nuanced approach to it is, a con artist something that you're 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 born a con artist or is it something that you develop over time or is it a little bit of both I think it's a little bit of both and I think there's definitely a huge component of developing over time um so by little bit of both. I mean that there are certainly predispositions. Not everyone will become a con artist, right? You can put a lot of the same people in a certain situation and most of them will be just fine and one of them will turn to the grift as a way out. Um, and so that one probably had some sort of predisposition toward it. That said, in 99 other situations, he might have been just fine as well. And so I think what we need to understand it's that con artists are are made really it's predisposition but it's predisposition that meets opportunity um, at the right time at the right place at the right point in the person's life um, and I think the exact same person who could become a con artist or a perfectly functional um, and respected member of society depending on how the chips fall and by predisposition, what is it? Is it psychopathy, Machiavellianism, narcissism? I mean, what is that makes someone predisposed to perhaps be yeah. a con artist? Mm -hmm. So I do, I talk about the dark triad, which is Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. Um, and I think any of those three or any combination of those three can give you the necessary predisposition. So by psychopathy, um, I mean the condition where you don't really experience emotions the way that other people do. Um, you don't experience empathy. And that really makes you able to take advantage of people because you don't feel bad for your victims. And you can't feel victims the moment you do. You're no longer a good con artist. So that's one. Narcissism, because you have to feel like you're not just the center of the universe, but you deserve things. You have things coming to you. You know, you, you really deserve to have someone else's money. You deserve to have their trust, their reputation. So it's this real sense of entitlement. Um, and Machiavellianism gives you the ability to persuade other people to do things. Um, for your own and directly from Machiavelli's The Prince, from the ideal prince and, and how he's able to manipulate those around him. Right. And so in one situation, like if you went down, a, if you're put in a certain environment, you might become a con artist. But if you have these traits, you could become an attorney, a politician, <laughs> right? Absolutely. A marketing genius, an advertising guru. Yep. All, yeah. all, 
respectable. Well, <laughs> some people would say respectable. Um, all all legitimate professions. Right. So I'm curious uh, if you came across this in your research. I don't remember reading this in your book, um, but we we call scam artists con men. Um, are are men more predisposed to be con artists than women are, or is it pretty cut uh, down the line about the same? You know, it's a really, really interesting question. And unfortunately, there hasn't been any systematic research into it. I will say that more of them are probably men than women. And I will say, the reason I say that is because we know that some con artists are psychopaths, and we know that almost no psychopaths are women. Um, It's fewer than 1% of of psychopaths are female. Um, And so that's just a really tiny, tiny percentage. So from that, you can make the assumption that um, that there are more con artists who are male. And historically, we also have more examples of historical con men who are men not rather than con women that said maybe the women are just better so they're not getting caught <laughs> because we know that some of the best spies in history for instance were female are very good at a lot of these types of um, skills of deception and manipulation right and as i was reading you know the the traits of a of a good con artist and by good i mean they're good at conning um I was kind of uncomfortable because like, I felt like there was like a very hazy line between being an emotionally intelligent person and being a good con man, right? The thing that really made, like, for example, you talk about the Q test. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain what the Q test is? And I'll share what I, the test that I, it was similar to that, but it gave like a different outcome or a different uh, interpretation. Sure. So that test um, was described by Richard Wiseman. And basically what it asks is that you put your finger, your index finger of whatever your dominant hand is to your forehead and you draw the letter Q. So I'm assuming now you've done it. And then you look, well, which way did you draw it? Is the tail facing to the right as you look at it or to the left? So have you drawn it from your own perspective or from the perspective of someone who is looking at you? And what this test shows is that people who draw it from the perspective of others are more sensitive to how they're perceived. They're more sensitive to how others respond to them. They want to create a better image of themselves in the eyes of others. And so those types of people probably have a slightly higher tendency towards the types of things that go along with being a con artist. I'm not saying that they are con artists. I'm saying that they have some of those same underlying predispositions that make people want to deceive. Right. So when I read that, so like the version I heard was the E test where Uh you draw an E on your forehead. And if you do it in the way that, okay, you write the E so that someone who's looking at you would see it as a rate, like a forward facing E. Well, that meant, well, you're an emotionally intelligent person. You have empathy. (laughs) Right. And so when I did that, I was like, oh, because that's how I did. I drew it how someone would, they could see it. Right. And I'm like, wow, I'm an emotionally intelligent person. And then when I read about the Q test in your book and their interpretation, I'm like, wait, maybe I'm a psychopath. And like, I'm like (laughs) possibly have tendencies to deceive. So, I mean, is that what you found when you're doing your research? There is sort of a blurry line between, I mean, are con men emotionally intelligent people or super emotionally intelligent people? Absolutely. Oh my God. Yes. So con men are people. And by the way, you can be incredibly 
emotionally intelligent and be a psychopath because you can understand people well enough that you don't experience emotional empathy, you experience cognitive empathy. And in some ways, cognitive empathy is actually stronger because you're really able to go into someone else's shoes. You're not blocked by emotion. Um, whereas the emotional intelligence, the emotional side of empathy, you often have things that stand in the way. Um, and so good con artists are definitely people who are phenomenal at reading others. They can read the most subtle signs um, in order to take advantage of them. They need to be. They need to be extremely wonderful psychologists in a sense because that's how they're able to find their victims, find the weak, the weak spots of their victims and take advantage of them. Right. And we'll talk a little bit about how they do that in a little bit here. But before we get there, let's just talk about the mark, right? Us, who might possibly be getting scammed by the, the con artist. Um, why are we so bad at spotting liars and frauds? Like we always think, like, like you were saying, like the lady who thought she was really smart and she like uh, was, you know, she was ahead of the, the these scam artists in the movie, but she really wasn't. Um and oftentimes you, you, the stories you share of the, the, the victims, like they never knew until the very end. And like these, some of these people are really smart, like they had double degrees, you know, PhDs, and they still couldn't tell, see that they were getting um, duped. Why are we so bad at that? Well, I think there are two reasons. Reason number one, it's actually more evolutionary advantageous to trust people than it is to spot deceptions because deceptions often make society go round and function well. It makes us get along with others because all of the little white lies that we tell each other um, are, are really essential for people to get along. Um, if no one lied and if you were able to catch everyone who lied, people would be so pissed off at each other all the time. It would not be a very pleasant place to live. So that's the first part of it. Um, the second part of it is that we are phenomenally good at self-deception. So basically the best con artists of all are ourselves because we really are able to rationalize almost anything in order to fit with a certain image of ourselves. So a lot of people, even when they should see that they're being conned, they don't because they don't want to admit that they could be so foolish. And so they rationalize away and they make up all of these excuses and at the end of the day they don't even realize sometimes they have been conned a lot of people at the end will say oh i was just unlucky they won't admit it even when they have the evidence right in front of them right so i guess con artists are just taking advantage of this evolutionary like they're evolutionary freeloaders in a way i mean i got kind of a way to describe them they're taking advantage of the fact that most people are trusting yes, absolutely I love how you organize the book because you, you break it down to the different parts of a con. And I think it's interesting. I, I, I learned a lot about con artists and there seems it is sort of an artistry. Um, they, there's like things that they pass on to one another and they, they learn things and they, it's sort of a system and it is a, a techne, right? And they uh, have different uh, names for different parts of the con. So you break it down and you talk about the psychological biases that con men use or take advantage of in each part of the con. Um, so you start off talking about the put-up. Um, what is the put-up and um, mm -hmm. what psychological biases or psychological advantages that con men use to uh, get the put-up going? 
The put-up is the first stage of the con where you really profile and identify your victim. So in some ways, it's the most important part in order for the con to ultimately be successful. Because if you choose the right victim and if you size your victim up properly, then you can really sell him just about anything. And so what you need to do, um, this is some of the some of what we were talking about with empathy and with being able to really understand someone else and not just understand them in terms of their personality, but emotionally, where they're coming from, what drives them, what they want, what their kind of deepest needs are. Um, psychics are really, really good at this because they do something called the cold read where they can look at you, they look at your body language, they look at what you're wearing, they look at things that you say, and they're able to tell you things that you don't realize you've given them the information to discern. Because we are always throwing off cues without even realizing it. And so it's something very subtle. It can be something along the lines of, oh, you're from New York too, aren't you? Or you're not from New York either, correct? Um, so it's the exact same sentence <laughs> and phrased in a way where we will then tell them yes or no. And then it, they will use that information to get even more from us. And we won't realize that we gave it to them. So it's this beautiful dance where they're able to get so much from us that we don't realize we're, we're telling them. Uh, and that's one of the ways that they're able to figure out, okay, what do you want? What can I sell you? Right. And they're they also, you know, speaking of the psychics, it seems like they're also... By the nature of the profession, they're self-selecting the their marks, right? They're finding certain people who are probably more predisposed to being conned in the first place because they know something about that person already because they're coming to see a psychic, right? Absolutely. And a lot of cons come with a pre-selection mechanism. So like the 419 scam, the Nigerian scam that you will see in your email, you know, there's a fabulous inheritance. If only you can just give them the small wire transfer fee. Um, a lot of those have really bad typos, spelling errors, bad English. And you think how in the world, you know, doesn't, doesn't, they, doesn't, doesn't this person know what a spell checker is? Well, here's the... the true answer is yes, they do. Um, and they used to send very wonderful literate emails. And the thing that happened is they got too many responses. Um, and so then they had to really work hard to weed out the suckers. Now, it's such a poorly written email, only the true suckers respond. So it's a pre-selecting mechanism so that <laughs> they don't need to work nearly as hard. Um, and so a lot of the scams do have kind of one step beforehand where you're already selecting victims. And it doesn't even need to be like the Nigerian scam. It can be something like a catfishing sweetheart scam on a romance site. Well, by very virtue of signing on to a romance, to a matchmaking site, you're already saying something about yourself. You're saying that you want a relationship, that you're lonely, that you want some sort of connection. So you're already self-selecting in a sense, into a pool of potential victims. Gotcha. So after they've identified their mark, and the, I guess the con man is using their their emotional intelligence and depthness to, to figure this out, how do they get the victim to start trusting them? Because, you know, most people, they don't trust strangers right away. We are, even though we are a trusting species, um, we do put up a front for a little bit, but con men are somehow able to mm -hmm. take down that guard. What exactly do they do or psychological biases within us that they, they manipul manipulate to uh, 
bring that guard down? They do a few things. Um, one that I think is quite easy and quite easy to understand as well um, is their ability to fake similarity and familiarity, which are two of the markers that we use to try to figure out whether or not we like someone. And liking often comes right along with trusting. Um, so first there's similarity. And that is how, how much does this person resemble me? And we tend to trust people who are more like us and we tend to trust people who are less like us. And this is a really, really ingrained way of looking at the world. Um, and it, it can be very superficial things. Like we like people who like the same sports team that we like. It doesn't need to be like, oh, the person is my age and went cool and, you know, is in the same profession, although all of those things help. Um, and similarity is remarkably easy to fake because it's kind of like we were, what we were talking about with the psychics. All you need to do is read a few cues from the person, and then you pretend that you are exactly the same. If you think about how many first dates um, seem very promising and you initially have very, you know, a very good relationship, and then realize, oh, this person isn't at all who I thought because they were really faking that similarity. Well, a con artist doesn't need to do it for the length of a relationship. A con artist just needs a few good first dates um, in order to hook you, and that's quite easy to do. And the other is familiarity, which is, do I recognize you? Are you someone who I feel comfortable with just because I've seen you around a lot? So we're much more likely to trust someone who is our neighbor and we see all, all the time, or even someone who we see at our local gym, just by, by the sheer virtue of seeing them around, they become a familiar presence. And this is something called the mere exposure effect, where merely being exposed to something or someone makes us like that thing or that person more. And so a con artist can do something like start dropping in at your local coffee shop um, and even saying hi to you on some mornings. And all of a sudden, you're much more likely to trust that person when they finally strike up a conversation just because you've already just because you've already seen them multiple times so those are kind of very basic things that can happen in order to establish that baseline level of trust wedding season is coming up and if you are preparing for the big day i know wedding planning can be really intimidating but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home don't just wear any suit on your big day wear a custom made to measure suit Suit started just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents. 
to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Right. And it, you, as you're talking about that, it seems like this is very easy to do on the internet, right? Online. Uh, you can fix familiar or similarity very easy. And then the familiarity aspect, if you just interact with people via Twitter or Facebook, mm-hmm. frequently you can build that trust, even though you've never seen this person in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I learned when uh, writing this book is never accept a Facebook request unless you know exactly who the person is, <laughs> because that's that's the way that con artists are able to infiltrate networks, because then once you get one weak link, um, suddenly you're in my friend network, then the next person's more likely to um, to accept your friend request because you know me. And so you've already been vetted. And all of a sudden, we've got 20 friends in common. <laughs> of course, you must be a, a decent person. Right. Um, okay. So we've gotten the, they've met, got the mark. They've built that trust. The next step is the, uh, the play. Uh, what's the play and what psychological biases do 
con artists take advantage of to uh, get the play going? The play is all about emotion. Um, it's about really telling the story that's going to emotionally involve the person. So now you trust me, I'm going to make you emotionally invested in this. And the psychological principle at, at play, <laughs> in the play, um, is that when we are feeling emotional, we stop thinking rationally. Um, emotion really clouds our judgment. And we make decisions that are much worse. Um, in general, we just don't look at the world in the same way that we normally would. Our logic falls by the wayside. Um, and that's the, that's the goal of this stage. So if you can get um, someone really hot and really riled up, um, then basically they stop thinking critically and they start believing what you say rather than questioning it. And it might be a question of telling a sob story, uh, of telling a sob story, and they become very empathetic. That's basically, you have to be a storyteller and a storyteller who's able to engage your Mark's emotions because the moment that the emotions are on high, that's when that's when you have them. That's when they stop thinking critically. Right. And it's not just stories. I mean, some of them, like, I guess, uh, cults take advantage of this sort of thing too, right? They seclude people and just really get people thinking emotionally instead of rationally, right? They do all these sort of exercises to get people crying, yeah. yelling, doing all this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a really strong technique. Um, and it also makes them bond with the people that they're with rather than the outside world. So it's a two-pronged um, approach in that particular case. Right. And it, the stories don't even have to be, you know, a sob story. I mean, I think you gave some yeah. examples of some cons of like stories about, you know, buried treasure from a pirate, right? Or that, you know, <laughs> that, and people got really into it. And like, I guess they get really emotional about that because it plays on, I don't know, excitement, wonder, adventure. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be your typical emotional sob story to, to be a, a good play. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. It could be any sort of a good story that has an emotional component. And our emotions are, can definitely be engaged in any number of ways. Um, and we need to be careful, not just when somebody gives you a story of, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I need to make it to my kid who's in the hospital. But, oh my God, this is so incredibly excited. I have just found this treasure and I'm going to share it with you. That's also a story. And that's also pretty emotional. Right. And as I was reading this, I was like, this is like what marketers do, right? Like they yep. tell, they tell oh, stories yeah. about brands. I'm like, again, like are marketers con men? I mean, what's going on here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's a thin line. It's really a thin line between advertising, marketing and cons. Right. Well, and speaking of the marketing tactics, you have the next section about the rope and you, mm -hmm. you go through a, a list of tactics that con artists used to uh, get people hooked into the con. And I thought it was interesting. It's like, these are the same things that I've read about in like advertising books or marketing <laughs> books or per, like even like rhetoric, you know, being persuasive when you're public, publicly, when you're speaking publicly. Um, so what are some of the tactics used in the rope? Um, I'll tell you about one of them, um, which I think is quite effective. Um, it is the door in the face technique. And that is first you get someone to slam the door in your face. So you ask them for something outrageously big. Um, and they obviously say no, they slam the door in your face. But then they, you probably feel really guilty because it doesn't make you feel like a very, very good person to slam the door in someone. 
one's face. And so the next time you come knocking and you ask them for something that seems much more reasonable in comparison, which by the way can still be a very big favor, but just compared to the first thing that you asked, it's quite reasonable. This guilty feeling person is going to say yes because they're so bad for slamming the door in your face the first time around and this is such a brilliant psychological maneuver and it works beautifully i've had it done on me actually um i've realized in retrospect where people have asked me to you know like volunteer for a day um with some organization i don't even remember which organization um and i just couldn't do it uh, because it was, you know, a day of my time and I just was in no position to say yes. But then when they asked me to then donate a piece of my writing, um, also for free, which I never do, I have a rule <laughs> of never write for free, um, I did it um, because I felt guilty for not volunteering for a day. Um, and that's classic door in the face. And con artists love doing this because we really don't want to feel guilty. It's a really bad feeling. And so we'll do almost anything to assuage our guilt. Right. So yeah, this is a very, uh, I love this chapter. It's great for like being on the lookout for yourself. But then also I'm like, I don't know, I'm thinking like, how can I use this too to like persuade other people to possibly do things that they need to yep. do for, you know, if I'm a leader or a manager and, a, you know, it's great, great tactics. Sorry, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to learn from con men, um, was one of the things I got from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talk about the tail and this goes back to what you said earlier about human beings being, we're like the, the ultimate con, we're, we're the best con artist, right? We start, we convince mm-hmm. ourselves, uh, we're good at self-deception. So the tail is the part where the con man, uh, well, actually, the comment doesn't do anything. The person, the victim, starts convincing themselves yep. the plan is actually great. How how does that happen, right? How do like, how does something that seems like if even if you're really smart or intelligent, yeah. how do you start convincing yourself that this actually I could definitely make a lot of money from this, even though I know it's probably too good to be true. <laughs> Well, because we are very, very good at, and I love that you phrased it the way that you did, because um, you just said it's probably too good to be true. And at this point, you have to remember that we've already gone through all the other stages of the con, so we already trust this person, we're feeling some sort of connection with them, we're already emotionally invested, and so we latch on to that word probably, because we think, well, it's probably probably too good to be true, but, but probably look, and in this particular case, I deserve it. And so we, instead of thinking it's too good to be true, start thinking, actually, no, it's not really too good to be true. I just deserve my lucky break. I've been working really hard for this. I deserve whatever it is that, that we're dealing with in this particular con. And so we just change our mindset completely because we want to justify everything that we felt and gone through up to this point. And we're so incredibly good at, at justifying that, at saying, oh, well, there's a reason I like this person. There's a reason I trust this person. There's a reason I'm emotionally involved in this story. And that reason is that it's a good story. It's a good person. Um, I'm doing everything correctly. And no, no, this is not something that's too good to be true. Actually, this makes a whole lot of sense. And because we have so many exceptionality biases, which means we we like to feel ourselves exceptional in, in almost any respect, those really play into this particular stage of the con. Because we can, we can use those to justify almost anything, really. 
Right. And so there's a lot going on here. So yeah, you talk about in the book that a lot of people think we're human beings, we're the rational animal. Uh, I know a lot of people say like, oh yeah, I'm very logical and blah, 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 blah. But like the research says it's not true. We actually feel something first and then we come up with reason afterwards to justify those feelings. Or like we make a decision with our emotions first and then we come up with the reasoning um, ex post mm-hmm. facto, right? Yes. Right. That's exactly what happens. Um, we we justify our decision after the fact, and we think, but we we do it so well that we convince ourselves that actually we did it before. Right. Right. So we do it. We we have this just very perverse circular logic, and when it happens to someone else, you're very well able to spot it. When it happens to yourself, you never think it. You never think that it's happening to you. Right. And I, the, I love the, the emphasis on how we deceive ourselves in thinking that we're above average and that yes. you know, we won't get duped. And yeah, maybe I, this time it'll work for us because we're smart and we're great. Um, I, there's a name, it's like the Lake Wabagon effect. Is that what it's called? Or there's something else? There's another the Lake name Wabagon for it. Effect, yes. Right. Yeah, it's, yep. Um, and there are lots of other names for it. But it's it all comes down to the same thing, which is there's also the very simple name for it is the better than average effect. And one of my favorite illustrations of this was a study that was done in the hospital of people who had just gotten into car accidents. And a good number of those people had actually caused the accident themselves. And what the researchers did was ask them what kind of a driver they, they were. And everyone said that they were an above average driver, even the people who had caused the car accident and were in the hospital, which is kind of crazy, but it shows just how strong this effect is. Right, right. And that's great to know, not only to avoid being conned, but I think it's great just life advice, realizing, oh wait, I think I'm smarter than I am, but maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am. Can make a lot of progress in life with that sort of attitude. Absolutely. But it's a hard attitude to maintain because deep down inside, you still think you're smart. Right. Yeah. Even though, <laughs> even though. All right. So there's a, there comes a point in, in the con, in every con, well, not every con, because not sometimes cons don't even get discovered, but in a lot of, in some cons where things start breaking down and the, the victim or the mark starts realizing something is up. I mean, what happens psychologically um, whenever we realize we're being duped? Is there um, like, do we suddenly like see that there's like a peripatia where we're like, oh yeah, okay, I am being duped and I'm just going to stop doing this? Or do we, is there something going on where we try to convince ourselves, well, no, maybe it's not as bad as we think we are and it's, it's okay. Well, this is where that concept of cognitive dissonance really comes into play. And that means that as soon as we see red flags, it's much easier to dismiss the red flags than to admit that we've been wrong. And so that's exactly what we do. We engage in what's called dissonance reduction. We try to reduce the mismatch between what we think and the evidence that we're seeing. And we do that by saying this evidence doesn't make sense, by explaining it away. And so we see the red flags, but we say, oh, it's not actually a red flag. Look, doesn't it look pink to you? Oh, it's not even a flag. It's a handkerchief. It's a pink handkerchief. Okay, I'm good. And and that's exactly what we do with all of the signs that we might be getting conned. And so a lot of people by the end of the con, so we're, we're getting to the stage of, of the final, um, the final stage of the con, a lot of people even then won't realize they've been conned 
because they were so good at reducing dissonance and at convincing themselves that no con is actually happening. Right. You gave a great example of, it was like the guy who did the first Ponzi scheme um, before Ponzi, right? The guy who started mm-hmm. the, the investment fund. And even when yeah. people realized, like, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, the law enforcement was in on it, they're closing the bank down, or his little, his bank, quote unquote, bank. And uh, people are like, yeah, there's something's going on here. But then he still had people like coming to the bank and like, I want to deposit more money. Um, yes. He's a great guy. I mean, that was, it was insane what happened. Like, yeah. he even like made more money while he was getting uh, discovered that he was a fraud. Yes, yes. And he is not the only one. This happens again and again. The first time you say, well, Franklin was just a really, this is the guy who ran the Franklin syndicate, the con you're talking about. Um, He must have just been a really, really good, really good at this. And he was, don't get me wrong. But con artists tend to be very good at this. Um, Some of my favorite stories involve... um, people who ended up paying the legal fees for the people who conned them (laughs) when the con artist was already on trial. Um, And a lot of times the victims are the ones who end up paying. What I thought was interesting too is that most people um, who are conned and they find out about it, they don't report it. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, like financial fraud, just con is one of the most underreported crimes in America or in the world. I mean, what is it? Why don't people report it? Is this like a sense of shame? What's going on there? I think it's two things. One is reputation management. People don't want others to know that they could have been so stupid. Um, and they really want to preserve their reputation, even at the cost of knowing that this person is still out there doing the same thing to others. And the second thing is, you might be so incredibly good at self-deception at all of these different biases that you and I have talked about, that you don't realize that you've been conned and you persist in saying that you were not a victim even even after even after the con is done and so a lot of people will say oh it's just bad luck it could have gone the other way i wasn't conned this is not a con artist oh i'd invest with him again if the chance came around (laughs) um so i think that that's the other reason why people don't end up reporting it so as i was reading this book i was uh you know, one, it made me uncomfortable in a lot of some places, but also I'm like, man, I don't want to get scammed, but it looks like my brain is like waging a war against me and trying to get me scammed and duped. Um, what are some things we can do? Like just a few brass tack things that people can do to, uh, steal themselves from being scammed all the while. Here's the catch. Like not while still being a trusting and caring person at the same time. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a very important distinction because we don't want to be someone who's just completely emotionally closed off. Um, that's not a very good way to be. So I think one thing that we can do is to really try to know ourselves as well as we can. Try to do the put up on ourselves. Try to do a self analysis in the way that a con artist would. What are the things that drive me? What are the things that are important to me? What are the things that I want? What are my weak spots? And then when something happens that really falls into one of those categories, you should suddenly have little red flags in your head and a little alert that says, wait, this is exactly what I want. And now it's happening. Let me analyze what's going on here. Is it because I've done something and it really should be happening? Or is it because this really nice man who, well, I only met him a week ago, but he's awesome. Um, is is offering me something or is telling me something that fits into that. 
So it's a really difficult, actually, piece of advice to give because what it says is the moments where you want to be the least skeptical because no one wants to question when good things happen. People want to question when bad things happen. But at those moments where you want to be the least skeptical, you actually need to be the most skeptical. I think that's the single most important thing you can do to try to avoid being scammed. Awesome. Well, Maria, where can people find out more about the confidence game? Um, They can go to my website, which has links to a whole lot of stuff about the book. And that's just my first name dot my last name dot com. So Maria com. Great. Well, Maria, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Brett. I really enjoyed the conversation. My guest today was Maria Konnikova. She's the author of the book, The Confidence Game, and you can find that on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. And you can find out more information about her work at mariakonnikova.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Help us get the word about the show. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.